HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Chai Pani Restaurant Group. This week on Meet and 3, it's our season four finale, and we're sharing some of our greatest kitchen joys. Maybe most people consider making it too much work or too messy, but this is the food that's worth the work and worth the wait. You always know where the thing is because you put it away the right way the first time. You just sort of stand there and, you know, with your hand on your hip and one leg outstretched, glass of wine in your hand, staring into the refrigerator going, okay, speak to me. Oh yeah, what are you doing with the celery tonight? I'm making a simple syrup for a gin cocktail with the celery. And I also found a recipe for a celery soup that's going to use up the celery and the potatoes and some of that dill that we still have hanging out in there. (laughs) Tune in and be inspired to find the joy in your kitchen. And don't forget to subscribe to Meet in 3 wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. This week, we sit down with Ben Hundreds, co-founder of famed LA streetwear brand, The Hundreds. He's giving us the inside scoop on his latest creative endeavor, the Family Style Food Festival, which is happening in LA on Sunday, September 15th at Television City. It's going to be a day of streetwear meets food for limited drops for both dishes, t-shirts, hats, and everything in between. We are super excited to see such incredible culinary talent as John and Vitti, Secret Lasagna, Helen Rays, and more, and some incredible designers like Verdi, James Jean, Mr. Cartoon, and Chinatown Market. We cannot wait. It's an awesome interview, and there's a lot of really great conversation about the new Venn diagram of streetwear meets food. In the second half of the show, we are in Silver Lake at Dangerbird Record Studios, hanging out with Brazilian singer-songwriter Samira Winter and her band, named after her last name, Winter. They're giving us some dreamy summer days mixed with some Boston chill. It's absolutely delicious shoegaze, and we are so excited. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes.
and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one of your hosts, Darren Bresnitz. Welcome to the fall season of 2019. We are here with Ben Hundreds, who is the, well, co-founder of the Hundreds, but also uh, co-founder of the Family Style Food Fest that's happening s- this September in Los Angeles. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you very much. So for those who are unfamiliar with the Family Style Food Fest, what is it? It is a... I mean, the short pitch is it's a streetwear food festival. Um, it's going to be a day where we are going to collide streetwear and food. I love it. Now, before we get into the festival, yeah. I want a little bit about you and your relationship with food and food's relationship with the hundreds. Like, where does food play a role in your life? Um, I mean, I, my mom, I grew up eating the best. Uh, my mom is a great chef. Uh, she's a great cook. She, um, she's an inspiration for me for making sure that food is the right food is always in front of you. Um, and so I feel like from a young age, food's always been a part of my life. Where'd you grow up? Uh, in the Valley here in LA. What'd you cook? Uh, a lot of, I mean, a lot of Persian food, but you know, she has her take on spaghetti and she has her take on chicken fajitas and, Mm. You know, she like her her version of all of those things. I always loved it um, when you have people who have a specific lens of food and then take the local food and then filter it through that, and you get this like it's like yes, it's a I'll call it a fajita because that's the closest reference, yeah. but it's something completely different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, uh, and then over the last, you know, we've been in business sixteen years, and over the last sixteen years. Uh, food has played a big part of the hundreds, and it, it has been a big part of the hundreds. And we've, uh, we've, you know, I feel like a lot of brands similar to ours over the years would go to the club and get tables and party, and Bobby and I would take, you know, ten people to dinner instead. Mm. And it, and it's always it is, and it's always been like that. Um, Bobby and I both love food. We love eating. And um, we've, you know, we've done projects with tons of restaurants. I think the first one we ever did was, it's got to be over 10 years ago, but it was a uh, a little uh, Mexican restaurant over on Fig by USC called La Taquiza. And uh, Bobby and I love that place. I still love that place. And, you know, from then we've gone on to work with all different kinds of restaurants and and chefs. And, you did uh, an apron with Headley and Bennett. Which yeah, we'd, we've done a couple, two, uh, yeah, aprons two aprons with, with Headley and Bennett. And Ellen's become a very good friend of ours. She'll be at the festival with something fun. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it, it, food is it, it's important to us and always has been and. You know, I'm sure it'll continue to be. It's interesting as you get older how knowing the door guy at a club or a party has faded away to knowing how to get a seat on a Friday night at the right restaurant. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like having that plug on, you know, Night Market Song at 8.30 on Saturday and getting yeah. a bottle of wine just sort of is a different type of flex. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that just shows that we're old. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say that, but I think it's just, <laughs> it's, it's, um... But it, in many ways, you know, the the party trick of like getting into a party and, and skipping line is one thing, and it has appealed to a certain type of person. But the idea of being able to get a reservation somewhere, or being able to know about food in a city, especially since you guys have traveled so much, it, it adds to just like your knowledge of culture and like what people are into and what trends are happening. Yeah, absolutely. 
um, you know, there have been so many food festivals happening in LA with the rise of food's popularity. What makes you want to start this one and what are you trying to say? What's your unique point of view for this festival? Um, I, why we're starting this, um, I, I, one, I don't know about all the other festivals, to be honest. I, I know there's a couple going on here in LA and now that we've, uh, kind of, now that we're in the festival game, um, I guess I've noticed a few more pop up in the LA area, but I never really paid attention to that stuff before. I, I'm not a festival fan and um, I'm not a food festival fan. The few that I've been to are just, they're not my style and I didn't think they were that much fun and I just figured that all of them are like that and so I just, I didn't care for it. And, you know, late last year, um, my team and I, we've, you know, we've been thinking about doing a music festival for many years now. And uh, late last year, it's like, all right, we got a plan for 2019. What are we going to do? Should we get serious about the music festival? And I think we all looked at each other and we're like, you know, a, a music festival, there's one every other weekend. They're not special the way they were. And they're really expensive. Oh, and those talent buys alone. Oh, right. massive. And as, as soon as you put festival on anything, a musician's like, yeah, you got to pay me double. Right? Yeah. So... Um, I think that I just I and right when we were having these conversations, I had met our partner in the festival, Miles, and um, I, I Miles is a, is an operator and he's really good at what he does. And I just I had this idea and I pitched it to him. I'm like, what do you think of a food festival? And they're like, what? Why? What are you talking about? And I'm like, I don't know. Let's just let's let's see. And they're like go ahead, try. Let's see how far you get. And so I started and I started talking to a few chef friends of mine and all of them kind of had like the same questions, like what's going to be different? Why are you doing this? And I, I was like, look, I want to pair, I want to pair every restaurant with an artist, a brand, um, a creative, somebody, and you guys are going to make a dish and we're going to make merch to go along with it. And I want people to come to this festival and I want them to be as excited about the food as they are about the merch. And I think that I I think that the people that we have involved I'm I'm hoping will accomplish that. You could argue that restaurants were the original ventures of the limited drop. Yeah. Because dishes, seasonality, you know, having to go to like a place like Favacon or El Bulli to get these dishes that didn't exist anywhere else for limited time, and there's more people who want them, they can get the seats. Yeah. There's got to be some inspiration from that in there. I actually have never thought of it like that, but you putting it like that, yeah, absolutely. All right, that's I one. that You can use that bullet point for future. I will. Uh, but there is that overlap in creativity, right, between streetwear people and the chefs that you're working with. Yeah, I'm seeing it firsthand. It's it, it actually trips me out. I'm watching, you know, Josh Vides and Burt Backman together. Uh, I put them together and I'm watching them work together and create and collaborate. And it's it's amazing watching them. I'm watching Sean Weatherspoon work with Knuckle and Arjun to make... Oh, those what, guys are wild. Honestly, I think that what, what they're putting out at the festival, it's going to be the... It's awesome. Uh, is it? And Sean's vegan, so they're making a vegan dish with Knuckle and Arjun from Bad Mash. And I like when they told me what they were making. I was, I was like, oh man. But that's a great example because think about how perfect 
their food and that whole genre of cuisine is for vegan, vegan, for vegetarian type of food. Yeah, that's why I did that. I, I, honestly, I, I thought that through and I was like, I, I think Sean would be perfect with these guys because of that. I mean, how much of these um, streetwear designers, how much do you guys talk about food? How much do you guys sit around? Um, there are a few that I can have conversations about restaurants and food with. Um, some care more than others. And um, I try to get the ones involved that I know care about food. Like um, Mike Sherman from Chinatown Market. I know my man could eat and I've eaten with him. And I know he what he likes and what he, you know, I know he likes good food. And so it was very easy for me to Mike, to, for me to go to Mike and be like, yo, we're doing this. I want you to be a part of it. Is there anyone you want to work with? And he was like, I'm down to do this. You know I support you guys. Can you get me Petit Trois? It's my favorite restaurant. And I was like, I don't know. Let me try. You I know? mean, how, what was that pitch? Because I feel like that the streetwear artists are like, oh, that's a cool way to, for me to filter this work. But what was the pitch to the restaurant? Some of it's like Petit Trois, like Ludo is, I mean, I love him. Yeah. Uh, big fan. But he does almost every single one of these festivals in LA. How do you get someone like that excited about this one? Um, I, It was me going to Ludo and saying, Ludo, I have, uh, I want you to be a part of this festival and I have one of the most creative people on the planet wanting to work with you. And I don't want you to just come and be petit toi. I want you to come and work with this creative and I want it to be, I want you to make some special merch and I want you to create a special dish. And he's like, okay, I'm interested. And so it took me taking Mike to meet Ludo and the two of them sitting down. And like as soon as they sat down, it was just like, a, oh, no, 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 like both of them. And yeah. by the end of the meeting, it was like, yes, let's go. And that's really all it took. I like, I, I'm telling everyone, I'm trying to put everyone in a room together and be like, I just want you guys to vibe off each other. Figure it out, you know, and if there's something there, cool. If not, then maybe we'll find other partners for you guys. And for the most part, everyone has worked out really well. That's awesome. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk a little bit about the details of the festival. And then we're going to talk about some of the special limited drops that are happening at the festival as well. Or whatever you can share with us, because yeah. I know that's some of the secrets in the reveal. Uh, we have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Trying to get it all inside your brain now. It's a reflection. Well, say, this is pleasure you have got to don't.
episode is brought to you by Chaipani Restaurant Group. From Bombay to Buncombe and Asheville to Atlanta, Chaipani has extended the love of food, culinary experience, and storytelling to the Southeast. Founded by Meherwani and Mali Irani, Chaipani Restaurant Group includes two locations of Chaipani, plus MG Road Bar and Lounge, Botiwala, Buxton Hall Barbecue, and their new spice company, Spicewala. Learn more about Chaipani and watch their documentary series, Cutting Chai, at chaipaniRestaurantGroup.com. That's C-H-A-I-P-A-N-I RestaurantGroup.com. Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I am here with Ben Hundred talking about his upcoming first, hopefully annual, family-style food fest. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Um, so, you know... Where the hundred store is located is also in this area that's also around like Animal, John and Vinny, yeah. and you sort of see. If I can think of like a street or an area that really is like food and street where it comes to life, is like that right there. Yeah, which is in my mind what the festival is going to be like. Um, as you get these chefs in the room together with the streetwear artists, what is the most surprising piece of conversation or creative thought that's come out of those that you've been in the room for? That is a great question. Um, I just, I, I, it's been inspiring for me to watch these people work together and see the, just the idea, the crazy ideas. I know not all of them are going to stick against the wall, <laughs> but like the crazy ideas of, wow, can we do this? What about this? What about, oh, what? what? And like both of them, like both sides, just like building, building, building. And then it's like, okay, let's come back down to earth. And like, yes, let's make, let's make this dish. Let's make this product. Let's put out this, this item. And so like just, just watching like all the crazy ideas between everyone. Um, it's been inspiring for me and kind of like made me go to my team and be like, hey, we need to think a little bigger, you guys. Like, I mean, it's pretty pretty amazing to see the rise of I would say swag and clothing that restaurants are putting out on their own now I would say that the majority of my hat collection uh, or a sweatshirt collection is restaurant based yeah and and honestly that's a big part of why I'm doing this because 
I believe that. Sorry to cut you off. No, I was gonna say it's just I'll say the number one sweatshirt that I see the most reaction to: hot pink Madonna in sweatshirt. Oh wow, yeah, that's but, a great I mean, sweatshirt. Right, it's a great sweatshirt, and so I go like, all right, if, if that's the base level that these restaurants are already putting out amazing merchandise on their own, how do you advise them to take it to that next level? Well, I think that restaurants do make some good merch, um, but I don't think a lot of them take advantage of take advantage of it. I think they could be doing better. I think they could be doing more. And I wanted to use look. I have a lot of friends that own restaurants in this cities in in the city, and I and I always am pushing them. Let's get hats made. Let's get T-shirts made. Like I have a print shop here, guys. Let me help you. Whatever whatever it is. And I, I, a goal for me with this festival was to show all my friends that have restaurants, hey, look, like we could really pump some stuff out. You guys can really do some great merch. And let me show you by pairing you with an, a great brand, a creative, um, a designer, an artist, and let's let's make something special that you guys wouldn't normally make, you know. And let's see how it's going to sell. We'll put this festival together to show you, like, you guys can sell meaningful merch um, if, if you guys want. And uh, I've, I've been saying it for a little bit now that I, I really believe that restaurant merch is the new band merch. And, oh, yeah. And uh, I, I think that, you know, if you have a favorite restaurant, like, you're going to buy that T-shirt. I mean, my restaurant uh, – my restaurant – t-shirt and hat collection over the last five years is huge um and that's and that's me like i think that the average consumer now really you know they will they'll buy a, a john and Vinny's t-shirt if they know they can buy it they'll buy a i mean uncle polly's uncle polly's his hat polly's hat's the number one hat right now Period. I mean, in streetwear, in fashion, and in the food world. Like, that's just, it's the number one hat. And it's a small little restaurant right here in L.A., you know? Yeah, I mean, Roberta's has been doing it for a while, pumping out different hats and things like that from the in-house designer. Scar's Pizza in Lower Yeah, Side, yeah, he's you great. You, you can't get that hat. Yeah. That hat is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also interesting now that restaurants have put out merch, like Fiona Bakery that's shut down, that hat still exists. Like, it is this life after or outside the restaurant or you swing into a different city like London and you pick up a St. John's sweatshirt. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the chefs that are coming in. Sure. Um, who – Evan? I saw Evan Funky yesterday. Yeah. He dropped a little bit about what he's going to do. Um, and I don't know what – I guess I don't know what you want to be surprised and what you don't want to no, be No, we could talk about what he's making. But, I mean, like, he's going to come out and bang out focaccia. Yeah. Right? fucking fire just bang on focaccia and make it focaccia that you can't get at the restaurant right so in addition to the limited edition streetwear drops you're also doing limited edition plates and so someone like an evan funky he's putting up focaccia but not just focaccia the rosemary everyone you know everyone's had a taste of if you haven't do yourself a favor go to abikini but he's doing different types of stuff um how how are you deciding on who's putting up what? Is it all chefs? Like, is that part of it where if you want to try this dish, you've got to come here, you can't get it anywhere else? That's definitely a big part of it. And, you know, Evan is a good example where he's making us not just his rosemary focaccia, but you'll be able to get a blueberry focaccia and this tomato focaccia that you you can't get anywhere else. And you're right. Like, that focaccia, you do yourself a favor. If you haven't had it, go go to Felix tonight and 
and order it. That that thing is it's Just eat it on the bench outside. Yeah, for real. Like it's the best. But it's a good way. I mean, these sort of festivals are a good way to introduce people to maybe brands or chefs or this whole community that they they're maybe never heard of or maybe yeah. feel intimidated by. Well, that, that I mean, my goal with this is is I, I mean, I keep telling everybody is I'm trying to convince all the streetwear kids to come to a food festival because streetwear kids don't necessarily care so much about food. And then I got to convince all the food people to come to a streetwear festival, which I know they don't necessarily care about fashion and streetwear so much. And I know there is some overlap. I mean, in but, the center of that Venn diagram are the people who are free, like are freaking out about this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, people sitting inside those two circles are going, oh, I get this. Yeah. And it's I can't believe it's it's taken this long for this to happen. Yeah, and so um, yeah, getting convincing all these people to come to come out and and do this is you know you're the perfect person for it. Thank. I mean, yeah, just you know, dedicate your life to one Venn diagram for ten years, yeah. and you wait a, wait long enough, it'll come around. Yeah. Um, Did you want to talk about some of the other things? Where you could, I would love you? to hear about some of the other chefs. Um, well, some of the other things that we're serving are. Um, Okay, so Alvin Kalin is working with the guys from Burger Lords. Shout out. Yep. And they're uh, they're making they're working with Beyond Meats and they're doing uh, a vegan burger, which I I mean Alvin first of all is a burger master, yeah. but then him serving a a vegan burger, I th- I think that'll be a hit. Al- already at uh, the guys at Burger Lords, their their veggie burger, vegan burger over there is fire. Oh, yeah. And so uh, I just, you know, with Alvin's touch, I'm sure it's going to be even better. Um, something else we're doing is, oh, Kenny Scharf, uh, the artist, um, he is working with Kofax. And Kenny did a series of paintings many years ago, uh, donut paintings. And I'm a huge fan of his donut paintings. And uh, we're working, The Hundreds is working with a working on a project with Kenny for 2020. And so we reached out to him and said, hey, would you also be willing to do a, a t-shirt or two with your donuts? And so he said yes. So we paired him with Kofax. Kofax is making the donuts that Kenny painted. And so you'll be able to get Kenny, you'll be able to eat Kenny Sharf donuts from Kofax. And then you'll be able to go buy Kofax Kenny Sharf t-shirts at the merch booth also. Um, so I it's mean, like, th- these are the kinds of things that we're, that we're putting together. You know, Uncle Polly's is working with Modernica, and it's the first time Modernica is doing something, making something for the kitchen. They're making a cutting board, and um, they're making a sandwich that you that they're going to be using the cutting board right there in front of you to chop up the meat or whatever it is, and be serving that sandwich at the festival. I mean, and, and then you'll be able to buy the cutting board at the merch booth. I mean. So like these are the kinds of things. <laughs> I mean, these are the kinds so of things. Great. That's yeah. just that's just yeah. I mean, no one else is doing that. You, you you might see a hat from a festival, and you might see a T-shirt. And I have a lot of love for the hot luck guys down in Austin. But the fact that people are making products, the fact that you're calling back paintings or movements and different artists' careers that are then inspiring a dish, it, it's it's beautiful. It's this full circle thing. Thank you. Um, yeah. The other thing that I really, really love about this festival is your your charity aspect. Yeah. Um, Homeboy Industries is legendary in LA. Yep. They have given opportunities to people for decades 
who may not have had another chance and have gotten this chance through cooking, through food. Yeah. Uh, I know Roy, Roy Choi did a lot of profile on them um, for Broken Bread. And then you're also working with No Kid Hungry. Yep. Um, how do those collaborations come about, and what's the importance of having charity at this event? Um, Homeboy is someone we've been talking to for a long time, and um, we've been trying to work with them on on a project. I feel like it's been a couple of years now. And um, when we came up with the idea for this thing earlier this year, it was just, yes, we need to get Homeboy involved. It makes so much sense in so many different ways. And so with them, honestly, I think we're the, the number one, that's going to be the, I think, I don't know if it's going to be the number one selling, but it's definitely my favorite graphic uh, for the fe- food festival. Um, we're doing a t-shirt and a hoodie with Homeboy mm. and all profits, 100% of profits from all the sales that we do with Homeboy will go uh, to their charity. I love it. And um, I, I honestly, I really do love it. And No Kid Hungry is a, is a charity that... Um, a lot of chef friends that I'm, a lot of my chef friends work with No Kid Hungry, and Miles also had a relationship with them, and um, I also believe in what they do and what they're about, and so with them we are uh, doing an auction uh, for some goods, something that's really special, and I'm not, I, I don't want to talk about it just yet. Yeah, that's fine. And um, all the profits from the charity, not even all the profit, all the, the proceeds from that auction will go to No Kid Hungry. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's great we have them involved. I think it's very important to have a charity aspect to something like this. Like we're not a, this isn't just about making money and dollars and you know consumerism I mean that, cuz that's I, the flip side of this where people are just like it's it's ones off it's limited it's flipping it like that's that's there's so much waste to it to add the charity yeah part is so important no absolutely we, we you know we we thought that we wouldn't be doing the festival without that without this aspect of it so i love it um so we're a couple of weeks out yeah uh what is the most surprising thing or the thing you never thought would pop up and be an issue as you head into the first year of your first food festival? Um, that's also a good question. I, I mean, there are, honestly, there's so many. Just this thing as a as a whole. It's so, <laughs> I mean, it's so much. What it really is, it's so much coordination. It's so many phone calls. It's so many emails. Um, you know, it's not that we're just throwing a food festival. Like, we're throwing a food and streetwear festival. And so music. like. Yeah, and music. Music is a huge part of this. So, like all the coordinating with all these, um, with all these different restaurants, brands, creative, musicians, designers, um, and then like all the sponsors. It's like it's just a, a ton, a ton of coordination. I, I guess I never appreciated how much work goes into putting an event like this, and I'm I'm blown away by it. And you know, my hat goes my hat i tip my hat to everyone that's ever done anything like this before yeah because it's not just you're like oh ship it two weeks out it'll last it's like no we need refrigeration everything's yeah 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 um well thank you so much super excited can't wait for it uh tickets still available where can people go to get more information about it where can people go to get tickets and all of that you can go to familystylefest.com to buy tickets and learn more about the festival, or you can go to Family Style Fest at Family Style Fest on Instagram and on Twitter. 
and um, you could check on all the updates. We're still adding new restaurants, new brands. Um, we have a couple. Oh, I guess by the time you announce this, you'll know that uh, Prince Street Pizza and Cat's Deli from New York are popping up at uh, at the festival. Oh my god. Um, Ooh. So and like this is a real cat's pop up. This isn't like a what they just did. They yeah they what was that? They you you get like a pack and you go home and and make it know. at home. But I, anyway, I, this is a real cat's deli pop up. So you'll be you we're the the best part about the real cat's deli pop up is that we're bringing out two three guys that work the counter at new at cats is in new york and they're uh, going to be there slicing. slicing for for you guys making sandwiches so well, like he did a couple of stuff with mishka back in the day uh like a mishka cats yeah yeah we, we did he he did a series uh maybe five or six years ago with us with mishka and a, a couple other brands for like over six a life did one over like a six month period he did one like a month yeah we did we worked with cats before and did a pop up in their what that space isn't there anymore, but what was the it? next? Yeah, yeah, it was great. That yeah. was really fun. I was like, oh wow, and it's funny because now that you guys are doing this, I I thought back and I was like, oh yeah, that sort of existed, but it never really got off the ground, and it seemed like such a wild mixing of two worlds. Uh, congratulations! Thank you very much. Excited for this. Thank uh, you for having me on. I really appreciate oh it. Oh my god! Thank you for throwing this and for supporting the community. Yeah. Uh, we have another song from the archives, and then we have a live performance. Here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.org.
Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. I'm Damon Bolte. And I'm Souther Teague. Together we host The Speakeasy, a show where we discuss cocktails, spirits, wine, beer, tea, coffee, and all things in the liquid universe. Yeah, our guests range from bartenders and brewers, alchemists and ambassadors, roasters and regulars, hippies and home brewers, and every expert enthusiast in between. <laughs> Browse episodes of The Speakeasy wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are at the legendary Dangerbird Record Studios in Silver Lake. It's a gorgeous day towards the end of summer, and we have winter in the house. Welcome to Snacky Tunes Winter. Thanks. We're happy to be here. Um, Samira, you grew up in Brazil? Yeah, I grew up in Brazil, in Curitiba, in the south of Brazil. Nice. Um, what were your earliest memories of food and music from growing up in Brazil? Um, so for music, so my dad's American, and he listened to a lot of like punk rock. So people like Dad Kennedy's, like the Cramps. But then my mom listened to a lot of uh, Brazilian popular music, which is like Java, Caetano Veloso, Gal Costa, Milton Nascimento. And uh, so I grew up with both of those. And then food-wise, at the time, I wasn't vegetarian because now I am vegetarian, but I grew up with a lot of the typical foods, um, feijoada, rice, beans, plantains. Um, and then in the south of Brazil, where I'm from, there's a lot of European influence. So there's a lot of afternoon coffee and tea pastries, mm. German things. So kind of a mix. A real mix. Um Brazil's a little bit more of a melting pot than people would think. Uh-huh. Uh, how did that affect what you loved about your own personal journey of music and getting into different cultures as you grew up? I think it really kept me open-minded because there was such a mix of people being into European things, people being into American things, people being into Brazilian things, people being into African-influenced things. So I think I just kind of always had an open mind, musically, food-wise. Um, just kind of the way I walk about this earth is pretty open-minded. Um, yeah, I think it was a really good experience. What took you away from home? What pulled you to the States? So it was kind of a plan of my dad's, who he's American, um, to have me go to school in the U.S. Um, even though at the time in high school I was kind of like, oh, maybe I should stay here because I really loved living in Brazil. Um, it was a plan to go to college in Boston. Shout out. That's where I went to school. Oh, cool. Where did you go? I went to BU. Nice. I went to Emerson. Ooh, down the street. Yeah. Did you ever eat it on a taqueria? Uh-huh. The best. The best. Love it so much. I dream of it. So much. You know where I dream of, too? A couple places. Um, did you ever go to Finale, that dessert place? No. I'm not a big dessert guy. It's so good. Did you ever go to El Pelon? It was another Mexican place. It was near oh, Fenway. No. There was this really cool old um, thrift store. I still remember I got these old Pixies 12 inches there. Uh-huh. But, yeah, it was like record shopping and tacos and burritos so good yeah um a little bit of a cultural difference between brazil and boston it was the biggest shock ever (laughs) uh at least you got there in the fall at least you weren't thrown right into winter i know 
<laughs> it was the biggest shock, though. I mean, what is that like growing up in Brazil and then going to Boston's very specific for anyone who hasn't spent time in Boston. <laughs> it's a very, very specific city, um, much more so than in New York or Los Angeles. It definitely made me grow up um, really way more serious of a place, very academic. Even just dressing-wise, like, people's style is so... It's more conservative. It's all navy, black, stripes. That's it, you know? Um, they don't let you into Boston without a pair of black pants. Yeah, you need... <laughs> you need a good pair of black pants. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yes. Um, yeah, it was a shock, definitely. And a good punk scene in, yeah. in, uh, in Boston. Um, or in some, like, post-hardcore well, type of yeah. bands. I mean, the thing about Boston, is, I think it fluctuates a lot, but for me, it was really important because that's where I really discovered, like, shoegaze and dream pop and mm. kind of like a, like, East Coast indie rock cause, and a lot of noise and ambient music, too, um, which I think if I would have gone to school anywhere else, I probably would have been influenced in a different way. So it was really crucial for that, and I'll always be so thankful for, for that experience. And they have a strong DIY scene, mm -hmm. a lot of house shows, a lot of things like that. Did you get in the mix with those? Yeah, because I was studying journalism. So for, uh, for my last year, I was doing a documentary on the noise scene in Boston. So I was just going to basement shows, interviewing people. I was just super into that. Awesome. Let's hear a song. First one's in Portuguese, right? Yeah. What, what is it? It's called Memoria Colorida, which means colorful memory. Love it. Okay, here we go. We got Winter at Dangerbird Records Studios on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Oh, man. That took me back to uh, Boston Dorm Days 2003. <laughs> it's in a, isn't a good thing. It's a Dude, good thing. That's where it all starts. Doesn't it? Boston dorm rooms. Like, literally, that's how everything started. I mean, I think I'm a little bit older, but definitely tail end of Napster days for me. <laughs> and, God, I can't remember. There was a website that used to put up all like full live indie rock concerts. I listened to like Ida and the makeup and just like sit in my room and be like, no, it gets me. I loved it because I got, I would get so moody. Like I would be like in the cold, in the rain, listening to super like, you know, depressing oh. music. Like, and I would just be like, yeah, I'm so moody. And I couldn't go out because it was so much snow. Like, I know. You couldn't do anything. I think my darkest days were Boston winters. Dude, and I gained so much weight too. I was eating a bagel like every day. Oh, yeah. And pizza. It was so good though. It was so good. Yeah, for, uh, <laughs> For people who don't know, Boston has its own specific type of pizza, uh-huh. um, which is very regional, very specific. Um, when did you start getting into making your own music? Was it before you went to college? Was it your dad's musical influence, your mom's musical influence, or was it those moody, dark days of Boston? <laughs> well, winter definitely started in the moody, dark days of Boston. Um, so aptly named band. In the winter, yeah, yeah. definitely. Because um, <laughs> I couldn't do anything else except just play music. Um, but I started writing like when I was like 12 or so. and just. But I never really like uh, showed it to people. I always uh, talked about music as a hobby. I'd be like, oh, no, like not really that serious about it. Um, and then... Yeah, I think it was in college, really, that I started. I played in a band with some friends in a dorm room and all of that, and it was so fun. And so I was like, oh, man, maybe I should try to, like, record some songs that I have. And, yeah, that's how it started around in college, mainly. Um, and when did it start creeping in as something that you were doing as less as a distraction from the cold as something more full-time, more serious? Well, it's funny because I actually I had a, a boyfriend at the time that was like, he kind of had like an intervention with me. He was like, Samira, you need to like start taking yourself more seriously because it's clear that you love music. Like you just need to give it a try. And so after that, I kind of like woke up and I was like, OK, I need to like actually try to do it and try to have a band and all of that. Um, but I think when I moved to L.A., I think the vibe here in LA, everyone is such a hard worker, but in like this very relaxed way, which is sort of the way I work is like, I'm always really working, but it's, it's a weird, it's like a different way of working than in the East coast where everyone's so stressed out. Oh yeah. Here, everyone's working super hard, but everyone's making it look easy. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. I wrestle with this too, because I see people and I could have spent so much time in New York of just people who would just sit at their desks and be so stressed but not do the work and I go you're stressed because you're just you're bullshitting for four hours just fucking do your work and go home and here it's more like, like do your work and then go hang outside yeah and go hit nature yeah um did you drive across country I um so I I flew but I did a a trip 
that was like a, my first California trip, which was just like a West Coast mm-hmm. trip with my sister when I moved here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I honestly wouldn't be where I am right now if it weren't for my bandmates. Oh, yeah. Um, and like be able to sound good and take it seriously because like I think it's imp- so you can't really do it by yourself. And so just having people that are available to tour, people that are supporting you who want to make the song sound good, I think that's what really takes it to the next level. Yeah. Um, how did you meet the three other people standing in this room? Um, so I met each person separate, like in different ways. I met Justine because I played a show with her old band, Summer Twins. Oh, that's a good band name. <laughs> Wait, so was it winter and summer tours yeah, on the same Yeah, we played film? a lot of shows together, We've and it was amazing because everyone would just be like, oh my god, winter, summer. <laughs> I mean, I know you're mocking those people, but... No, it's cool. Did you make t-shirts? Yeah. Yeah, we have that winter tour? and summer twins t-shirts. Yeah, Ooh. we did actually make, um, did a collab t-shirt. If you have size for a uh, 37-year-old we dad do. large... We do. We actually we couldn't do. really get rid of them. Yeah, All right. this bright color. I'll, oh, you're <laughs> speaking my language. They were I'll take, cool. I'll oh take one off your hands. I'm gonna bring you on. Okay. Um, what about the two? What about guitar and drums? How'd you guys meet? So Anders, I met through Justine. No, the, no, we met oh briefly, God. like like several years before that. Across the street, Silver Lake Lounge. Silver Lake Lounge. Oh, right. yep. Legendary dive bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just well. remember what he was wearing. Yeah, where's the coolest clothes? He was That's wearing, how like, a I met fur him too. Coat. It's like his outfit, just like you Stands have to out. say something because he dresses so cool. Intentional, mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, it's it's uh, the outfits speak more than I ever possibly could. Hey man, fashion's a beautiful thing. Fashion is life. Yeah. And then I met Ian because we played a show with Final Williams, the band he used to play in, like a couple years ago. So this is always interesting to me because you have two people who were in bands uh, before they joined this one. How does that conversation go? No, but were you in a, honors, is, were you in a band too? Yeah. They're all mm-hmm. still yeah. in other bands. Oh, yeah. It's that vibe. They're all still in other bands, yeah. I mean, we could, we'll do off the record of what your favorite band to play in, <laughs> but we'll say winter. Uh-oh. We'll say winter on the record. Uh-oh. Um, I mean, I found that a lot about the L.A. scene, that there is a lot of overlap and a lot of people playing in different projects and collaborating and things like that. Um, I think it works because I think there's different cycles of, mm. like, creativity and touring. And I think, like, I think there's cycles of being super busy and then cycles of being at home. And so, like, being at home, it's like you can play in other projects and have time for all of that. Awesome. Well, let's hear another song. This next one's about your cat, right? Yeah. What's it called? It's called Zoe. I assume that's the cat's name. It is. Okay. That'd be really funny if it was not her name. Uh, Here we go. Winter on Snacky Tunes at Dangerbird Record Studios on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
amazing. Thanks. Does your cat know that the song's about her? I think she knows. You're like, Zoe, I have something special for you. It's an audio treat. Um, so you have a few albums out, and you just put out uh, your latest EP. Um, when do you decide it's time to put out new music, and can you talk to me a little bit about what was the inspiration? I mean, it feels like dreamy West Coast days in this last EP. Definitely. Definitely not that Boston Dark Days. Definitely not. No. Um, that EP was kind of like this like summer, really, that I wrote a lot of those songs. Except Always Teenager, which was probably like a super... It was just like a really sad moment. But other than that, all those songs were very happy moments inspired by the summer and, uh, yeah, living here and having really good memories. Um. What do you like more, or I guess it's different, about writing happy California summery music versus those dark Boston tracks? It's it's weird, because it's like, sometimes there's, I want to be writing a certain thing, but I think it really has to do where you're at, like, personally, like... I feel like I'm always going through something different and kind of at a different place internally. And so it ends up just reflecting that. Like sometimes I'm like, oh man, I really want to make like this kind of like vibe. But it, if I'm not experiencing that, then it's hard for me to really feel it, you know, and really make that. I get that. True songwriting. Yeah, it just, it, it's pretty personal. And then sometimes it's just sort of like, I feel like I'm very inspired by music, so it's like the music that I'm into inspires what I write to. Do you ever pull from those old punk bands from your dad or any of the more classical Brazilian stuff from your mom? Mm, so I haven't really done any of the punk stuff, but um, for my mom I have. I did a record with my friend all on like cassette tape, and it's... Pretty much, I don't know if I'll ever do a record like that again, but it's all, like, very Brazilian and, like, still pretty dreamy, but kind of more, like, uh, late 60s kind of inspired music. Mm. Yeah, so I did that. It's, like, Winter and Triptides, and the album is called Estrela Magica. Oh, nice. So all you need is a cassette player, right? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I think I still got one. Um, And you have... uh, some live shows coming up, right? You're hitting the road it, yeah, September, later this month. we at the bootleg, I believe, on the 21st. Everyone looks around. I'm, like, looking around. Andy We're usually knows these things. Now. Is there a nod from Andy in there? No? Maybe? I think Maybe. it's either the 20th or the 21st. All right, we'll check the tapes. Um, and I, it's with a band from Brazil. Oh, nice. Called Bugarins. Do you make that? I mean, you toured down there, didn't you? I have. What's the difference in playing shows in Brazil versus playing in the States? Oh, my God. It's so different. Justine can elaborate. You will probably get shocked at least, like, three times. <laughs> oh, fi- oh, physically? <laughs> like, like shocked by the mic. Oh. Not <laughs> That's fun- the only thing. That's the only thing that was a little bit stressful. Everything else was a ton of fun. Everything starts late. So, like, they'll say the show starts at 9, but it will start at, like, midnight. Oh, man. So, we that- played once at... Five in the morning? Yeah. Because... <laughs> no, 
feel like I've played a couple times at like you probably have but I I've only done this once and I was like falling asleep just like did it and it was insane I feel like that would drive me nuts as a planner yeah yeah that's how I am I'm pretty like specific like with time yeah she's a Virgo she really uh, (laughs) helps the band just like stay together like stay on time everything has to be on time just go to the promoter hey so we're I'm seeing we're six hours behind which is totally fine (laughs) but do you have a cot I can nap on there's also a lot of making out people make out like yeah. right in front like, of you. like right in front of the sh- like of you'll be playing and they'll just like be right in the standing in the front row like me which is cool it's like oh okay no they really get in the music it's like yeah. it's just like woo yeah a little bit different than the states yeah states is like oh i think i saw some head nodding in the back <laughs> um and you're also playing desert days one of california's best music festivals yeah i mean i I honestly think right now it's it's like probably one of the best like in the world. Yeah, I'll say in the world. I mean, I was being fair to the rest of the state in the world, but <laughs> or the country, but uh It's like so exciting to be on the same bill as like Stereo Lab, like Yeah, that's so wild. I think they have a clear point of view. I think a lot of festivals now start and they go, "All right, we know that we can just pull this touring festival list and we'll just put it in our own backyard." But that one feels very um specific. Yeah, I think it's very experiential, and I'm so excited to play it. Awesome. Um, all right, well, I want to make sure we have enough time for one more song, but where can people hear the music, follow you on Instagram, look for tour dates, figure out if it's the 21st <laughs> or the 22nd? Um, so Daydreaming Winter is the keyword. Um, Instagram is Daydreaming Winter, Facebook, Bandcamp, and then on Spotify, it's just winter. Sweet. Well, thank you, all of you. Thank you. Thank what you a pleasure. Yeah, this is great. Shout out to Zoe, wherever you are. Shout out to Zoe and all the cats listening. All the cats listening. <laughs> I think at this point we have more cats listening than people, so we're pretty <laughs> stoked. Uh, I want to thank you to Danger Bird Records, Andy, everyone. Thank you so much. Here's Winter one more time on Snacky Tunes, heritageradionetwork.org. We will see you next week. Goodbye.
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to the Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.